Good morning. Uh, welcome if you're in the room. Welcome if you're online with us today. It's good to be uh, together. So we are going to wrap up uh, this little three-week series we've been doing in the book of Ephesians called In Christ. We're going to wrap that up today. We're going to put this baby across the goal line. Uh, but before I jump in uh, to that, I want to say to you what I should have said last week. I forgot to say last week. Your grace is uh, appreciated that I didn't say it last week, and it's this. If you are a veteran, thank you. We love you. Yeah, do it. Do it. Yep. If you're a veteran or if you know one that, you know, you can get the feels for them today, great. We love you. We appreciate you. You are rock stars and heroes and all the, all the things that I can't possibly do justice to while I stand here. But thank you uh, for your service and for your uh, sacrifice. All right. Um, so we're going to dive into this, and then next week we will, uh, Pastor Tim will be back up here. We'll introduce you to your lead pastor, who's not been up here for a bit now, but he'll be up here, and we'll do like a Thanksgiving sort of a day. And then after that, we're on into Advent season. Who's got their tree up already? Come on. <laughs> who hates those who have their tree up already? Come on. <laughs> My tree's been up since like September. Not because I want it that way, but because my wife wants it that way. And by golly, I'm going to learn to love and lead her well by letting her do that. All right, so part three. So let's just recap real quick. So part one, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we went through uh, chapters one, two, and three of Ephesians. And here's what Paul laid out for us for his, you know, through this letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, it was all about who we are in God. It was all about our identity in God. It was all about understanding the gospel and just saturating our hearts with the truth of the gospel and telling us all that it means for us. And then part two, last week, we said, now that we know that, now that we understand that, now that we can connect with that and we have engaged with that, what does that mean for how we are to live our lives? So that's where we dove into last week and today is a continuation of that. So uh, here's the way we've played this. Uh, the way this was read uh, in 60 AD to Paul's audience, and it really wasn't his audience because he wasn't the one standing in front of them, but he wrote the letter and someone would read this to the various little pockets of faith gatherings there in Ephesus. So uh, we, we've just been reading scripture. We have been reading all the way through this book. And today when we're done here, you will have read, if you've been here the last two weeks, you will have read the whole book of Ephesians. So again, I've said this, that's not normal. I doubt Pastor Tim will come up to you next week and read you a whole book of the Bible. Um, but you know, that's what we've done. And here's the reason why is because I've said it over and over. I will continue to say it. I think the best thing we can do is put the word of God in us, like right inside of us. It's how we are transformed by the gospel. So we've attempted to do that. I've put it in me over the last like several weeks as I prepped for this. And my goal, my stated goal to you was that you would receive the word of God in your heart so that it could richly bless your life. So on some level, I think it's, you know, probably weird that we've just read scripture. On the other hand, I will not apologize for it because scripture is the best thing I can offer you today. It's the word of God, which changes us and cleanses us and sharpens us and fixes us and redeems us and restores us and all the things that we need in our lives. So we are going to do nothing different today. We're going to continue just to read the rest 
of this book. So we left off in the middle of chapter five last week. If you want to flip there, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine. They didn't get the luxury of that back in Ephesus, right? They just had to listen to some guy say it or some, you know, somebody would just stand in front of them and say it. So that's what I'm going to do. And this picks up in a crazy, crazy spot. And some of you will have your antennas up real fast. It goes like this. You're starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband. Some of you are like, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should uh, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The husbands are excited so far, right? Calm your jets. Here it comes. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of this body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's the start of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a purpose, or with a promise, excuse me, uh, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same then and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I'm gonna pause right there. You can keep that page if you want to. We are not uh, hitting stop, we are hitting pause. We'll jump back in here in just a bit, but it seems to me from this point forward through the rest of uh, the chapter here, it kind of takes a hard left turn. So I feel like we should just stop and kind of engage with this uh, for just a little bit. Um, so this, this whole thing is about how do we honor people that are in our nearest relationships, because I think the, the reality is if we can start there, we can honor lots of people, right? So he gives these three examples, these three like most common day regular relationships for you and I. Marriage, and I know that all of us are married, but hey, Paul says it here, so we're rolling with it, right? Marriage, the children to parent relationship, and what it says as servants and masters, we're going to put that in our context and see it as employer employee. We'll dig into that here in just a bit. But he uses the three most common relationships that we have, the most normal day-to-day relationships that we have, I think, to teach us two things, to teach us about himself so that we become more like Christ. Because Paul says, we can be like Christ. He said it in chapter four. We can be like Christ. Hang on to that. And number two, to put his character on display for a watching world. All right. 
So we're going to start with the first one. I do not feel credible to talk to you about your marriage. Some of you have been married for like, you know, 40, 50 years. But we are going to try to understand what Scripture says uh, together. And I get that this is sticky. I get that this is messy. I get that we have come in here, heard some of this. Some of us have heard some of this teaching before. Some of us have heard it uh, said well and clearly and rightly. And some of us have heard some really awful teaching about this. I've heard both. So I know they both exist. I just want to offer you what my insight into Scripture is today. Okay? Um, Let's start at verse 25, and I recognize this is a a slightly uh, out of order, but I'm going to hit you guys first. Here we go. Verse 25. What does it mean, husbands, to love your wife as Christ loved the church? When Tara and I got married, this was, you know, we wrestled with this. I wrestled with us trying to understand what does it mean to love my wife as Christ loved the church. We went through marriage class a couple of years ago, and the same question was posed to me over and over and over. How do I love my wife like Christ loved the church? And here it is. Husbands are to reflect uh, Jesus by loving sacrificially, by loving sacrificially. And this means laying down your life for her, right? This is what Jesus did for the church. This is the very clearest picture we have of what it means to love as Christ loved the church. Now, let me be clear. This could mean like taking a bullet for her, which, you know, husbands, you better darn well do for your wife, right? But it could also mean something simple, like, hey, babe, where would you like to eat tonight, right? Like lay down your life. Consider her preferences before yours. Consider her before uh, yourself. He, you know, Jesus sacrificed everything for his bride, everything. He literally gave everything for his bride, the church. So this means honoring her as Jesus did and considering her in everything that you do. He considered the church and the decisions that he made. He could, I think he could have stopped what was about to take place in his life, but he knew it was the will of God. He knew it was how you and I would be restored and redeemed to the Father. So it's this attitude, husband, like, how can I serve you, sweetheart? How can I serve you? In loving this way, we husbands learn both to look and live like Jesus. We learn to look and live like Jesus. We look like into the world watching around us. The next thing I think we see is this. Husbands are to reflect Jesus by leading spiritually. This is so hard. I'm not very good at this. Can I just be honest with you? Here's my struggle. I live with a person who knows everything about me. I live with a person who knows my filth. She knows where my, no, I don't mean my, like I live filthy, like I'm a mess, but I probably do. But I don't make the bed near often enough. I live with a person who knows how dirty my heart can be. I live with a person, I am married to a person who knows where I struggle where I fail, where I'm insecure, where I sin, I feel so unworthy to lead her spiritually because I don't feel credible. So if that's you today, join the club. Get in line. It is a hard, hard thing. It has been a struggle for me for 18 years now. I'm still working on it. I will continue to work on it because she deserves it to the glory of God. It's what's commanded of us. So lead spiritually. Think about this. When Eve was created, Adam already had a relationship with God. 
He was already there in the garden with God working for God. Then Eve is brought into this and Adam is there, is, is told to teach her all of these things that God has commanded him, that they can live to the honor and the glory of God. When Eve was created, Adam was already there. And Paul reminds us here in Ephesians 5, verse 26, another translation says it like this. Your role, husbands, is to help your wife live faultless and sanctified before God. That's a big job, Right? But scripture says this. So we're going to try it by golly. It says, lead her. And if you're not sure how to do it, here's where I had to start. If you're not sure how to do it, I've got a good suggestion for you. Here's a great place to start. Lead you. Lead you well, husbands. Your wife deserves that. If you don't know how to lead her well, you you should start by leading you well. You might be amazed at the difference it can make in your relationship, both with God and with your spouse. Now, husbands, let me tell you what this is not. I want to be careful to say this. What this is not is not lording authority over your wife. Some of us heard this, wives submit to your husband's thing, which we'll get to in a second, and you went, yeah. (laughs) And this is the way you've been living your marriage. This is the way you thought this was supposed to be because someone gave you teaching on this a while back or this is the only context you had or it's the only verse you read. This is not lording this over, this authority over your wife. It's not marginalizing her or reducing her as less than. It's leading her as your partner in reflecting the love and the grace and the humility and the sacrifice of Christ himself. This is how he loved the church. And husbands, if you get this part right, your marriage will be better, I promise. If you get this part right, your wife will have an easier time with her job. That's why I started here with her role. It will come easier. It will come from a place of love. It will come from a place of nurturing and of care through her relationship first with Christ, but then with you if you've led her well. All right, now wives, let's jump back to verse 23. Here you go. Submit to your husbands. Oh man, this one hurts, right? I tried to get my wife to stand up here and say this with me so that it could be more credible. She said, yeah, not so much. So here I am. Wives, submit to your husbands. Here's what it means. Wives are to reflect Jesus through submission. Now, I know the word submission could be this like flashpoint word and we go, whoa, right? What about women's rights? What about equality? All these things. I'm not, I'm not going there. Where I'm going is here in the word of God. Okay, for now, that's where I'm going. It doesn't imply anything like inferior, this word submission. It's not that she's inferior. Think of it like this. Jesus submitted fully to the father who he was not inferior to. He submitted fully to the will of God and he was not inferior to God. So if it wasn't like some, some sort of assault on Jesus's like integrity or, or dignity to do that, I just wanna be clear to you wives, that's not one on yours either. On the contrary, submitting cheerfully makes you more like God. It doesn't imply dominance of a man. It doesn't imply that she simply exists as a subordinate to to like cater to his every whim. Consider this, right before where we started reading today, in fact, some translation starts with verse 22 at this, but some of them are 21, and I I started at 22, uh, where it it skips over this. It it 
finish it in the previous part, but some of your translations at verse 22 actually start like this. It says, all of you should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't specify husbands or wives or men or women. It says all of us are to be like Christ and, sum- and to submit to one another. So, so we all have this same job. It's not just some wife thing, like be under your husband, submit to everything. He says, all of us are to do this in Christ. Husbands have the same job there. So for wives, I just want to like, like make this simple. What this means is you allow him to lead under the leadership of God, giving him the same cheerfulness and support that you would give Jesus himself. In doing this, you learn the humility of Jesus. That's a pretty good gift. And you give the world a picture of the humility of Jesus. Here's, here's the reality in a nutshell. Marriage is a reenactment of the gospel. It's a reenactment of the gospel. It's a picture of love and grace, the humility of God. He loved us so well. He sacrificed so much for you and I. Marriage should reflect this too. And in, 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 in our sin even, he went to the cross for you and I. Yes, we didn't deserve that. Your husband sometimes doesn't deserve what this suggests we should give him. And your wife sometimes doesn't with our actions, right? Our actions sometimes tell us a different story. I am glad that my actions did not convince Jesus to go a different route. Some of you thought that you were marrying the perfect person, right? When they asked you to marry him or, or, to, or when, you know, he asked you or when you received it as the guy, like however this went, some of you thought that at that moment you had the perfect person and then here's what happened. A couple of months in or a couple of years in, now you're asking the question, how, how did I not see that before, right? Like where did that come from and how did you keep that hidden from me? Tara used to think that I was cute when I slept. She used to think that I was cute when I slept. And, and, but now, after 18 years, like those same noises and growls and the random snorts that I make in the middle of my sleep are just not so endearing anymore, right? I, I remember I was at a wedding here one time. Uh, Nikki Maloney, who stood up in front of you earlier and said, hey, good morning, everybody, like the, the gal who stood in front of the room before, where Joe, was, her husband, was so mesmerized by her, he couldn't remember his name. He couldn't say his own name standing on the stage. He thought he was marrying this perfect, perfect, perfect person. So uh, back to Tara and I's situation. So she used to think that my sleeping was cute. It was endearing. A couple of weeks ago, I was having this dream. It was a terrible dream. And I can't make sense of this. It was a dream, so don't try, to, don't try to undo it. It's just the way my dream went, right? I'm laying on the ground. I'm being pinned down to the ground on my back by this bad guy who's there to hurt my family, okay? I don't know what his intentions were, but he wanted my son, and that was not about to happen. So he's above me. I'm laying on my back. And again, he's, he's like hurtled over me. He's like straddled on top of me, but somehow I'm able to kick him in the face. That doesn't make sense. I get it. But I kick him right in the face. I mean, just straight up right in his nose, his mouth. And man, did I nail him good. And if I was a normal height dude, I would have nailed our ceiling fan in our bedroom. Really, really. I mean, I was like, bam! I mean, I just destroy it. And then Tara like wakes up. We wake up in this panel like, ah, all right. And I think maybe 18 years ago, that would have been a little bit more endearing than it was now. And now she's like, sweetheart, shut up. Go 
to sleep. I'm like, babe, I, I got him though. <laughs> like we saw something now two months in or two years in or 18 years in. We go, man, how did I not see that before? My sleeping is not near as cute as she once thought it was. Like you didn't marry a perfect person, right? Newsflash. You married perhaps a person who was perfect for you and perfectly suited for you, but you didn't marry a perfect person. So here's, here's the situation. We have to have grace. Paul's saying this to you and I. We have to have grace for one another, even, and I shouldn't say even our spouse, I just say starting with our spouse. And what if, God's, what if part of God's purpose for marriage, just a question, I have no theological background, but what if, God, what if part of God's purpose for marriage was, was not simply to make you happy with a perfect mate, but to actually show you and teach you to love and for, to forgive and to show grace the way that Jesus loved and forgave and showed you and I grace with an imperfect mate. What a great gift to you and I. The gospel should be reflected in our marriages. The gospel should be reflected in your marriage. So start to ask yourself that question right now, is it? Husbands, you cannot, and I can't understate that, I, I can't overstate this, excuse me. Husbands, you cannot love and lead and sacrifice well to the glory of God if you aren't first, as we've been talking about this whole series, in Christ. You can't do it. And these are your challenge to love and lead and to sacrifice well to the glory of Christ. They are your challenge regardless, this part's hard, of how well your wife responds to said love and leadership and sacrifice. And wives, your first and ultimate submission is to Christ himself who modeled these things for you. He modeled selflessness to you on the cross. So joyfully, joyfully engage with this reality. And husbands, joyfully engage with this reality. And remember, how well your husband leads or how effectively he leads has zero bearing on your charge here in Scripture to be obedient to Christ through your marriage covenant. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Perhaps the very best thing I can offer you regarding this marriage thing is this. And we don't see it here in this passage, but it's just a little nugget I want to add in here, right? Well, she is your wife and he is your husband. She is also your sister in Christ. And he is also your brother in Christ. And I know that sounds really strange to us, but take a step back and see her that way and take a step back and see him that way as a beloved son or daughter of the most high God created on purpose and for a purpose. And in Christ demands that we love, we lead, we respect, we submit, we show grace, etc., to his children because we are first in Christ. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I've repeated it multiple times since and I'll keep doing so. Your first identity before you are anything else, including a spouse, is in Christ. So marriage is the first relationship that he uses and I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow on past that. The second one he talks about is a children to uh, parent relationship. And because 
Most all of us in this room are not children. I'm just gonna head on past that one if that's okay. And if you wanna talk through that with your kids, man, do it. Open up Ephesians 5 and do just that. But I'm gonna scoot through to the third one he talks about. This one uh, is the, what he refers to as master to slave relationship. It says this, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Okay, I'm going to turn these terms, uh, servants and masters, into employees and employers, okay? I think it makes more sense for the context we find ourselves in. The reality is, and this is kind of sickening, and I don't know how to make tons of sense of this with my mind in this century and where we are, but the reality is, uh, in this day and age, these women were basically owned by their husbands. They relied on their husbands for every single need that they had. They couldn't work, they were, I mean, they were essentially, it sounds weird, but they, these women were that in their marriages. But now let's talk about this. Like people who were watching this, even men, people who were hearing this read to them from Paul in the church in Ephesus, at least a third of them, it's been suggested, were actually literally slaves. They were literally slaves. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to you and I, but they were slaves by way of of they had been, they had lost a battle or they had indebtedness, so they were actually slaves. And I know that does not translate to you and I. And I ought to say, as Paul detests that, he says it multiple times in scripture. What you and I in the Western world think of as slavery, Paul's like, no, 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 I'm not going there. I detest that. I don't want any part of that. So we're turning this in our day and age, in our context, what this is referring to as master and slave, it's employer, employee. It's this, I have a subordinate. I have someone who underneath me and some of like, it's that, it's that working relationship. How do we relate in our work relationships. The next verse, he says, for our employers, not just to be noticed, don't just be noticed as servants, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. He goes on to say, rendering service as to God, not to man. Paul says, our first audience in any assignment is not man, it's God. And some of you have jobs where you can't stand your boss. I shouldn't tell you if I do or not, should I? Some of you, some of you have jobs, you just can't stand your boss. It feels like he owns you. It feels like she owns you. Remember, some of the people hearing this in 60 AD really literally were owned, right? But you're thinking, I can't stand them. How do I deal with this? And Paul says, even when your boss is truly, truly unfair and awful, you are not doing your work first for your boss. You're doing it to the glory of Christ. And every assignment behind your earthly boss is your real boss, your heavenly boss. The workplace, the workplace is a laboratory where we learn to serve God with excellence in all that we do. Verse nine, he turns to the bosses then, right? He says, masters, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's talking to those of us that have power over somebody, we have leverage over them because of our position, Right? We have authority over them. He's saying, hey, whoa, 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 treat them right. See, power, I think, it's used in two ways, I, I, I think. Right? There, there's two ways power is handled. Uh, the world collects power for itself. It just collects it all for itself. We see this all over us. But God gave his power away. He gives his power away, and he's saying to you bosses, those of you that have leverage, have, have you know, authority over someone. Give your power away. Be like God. He used his power to serve and to lift up and to forgive others. And so do so the same way that God served and lifted up and forgave others. Use your power that way. So in your relationship with your boss, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your employee, your employer, in your relationship with your spouse, people should catch a glimpse of the gospel through it. 
People should catch a glimpse of the gospel in every relationship that you have. And Paul's telling in each of our relationship, we must, like each relationship we have, even the most basic ones, they're to teach us to be like God and to allow us to put God on display for a watching world to experience the love and the grace of the Father. All right, I'm gonna turn the page there for just a second. We're gonna move on into the rest of the chapter. So this is starting at verse uh, 10. These are Paul's final instructions for the church in Ephesus. Here we go. Finally, being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me uh, to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you, may, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, I spent this week trying to figure out how to connect these two ideas. <laughs> I spent this week trying to figure out, okay, we go from this idea, we're talking about our, our everyday common day relationships, and now we're talking about this whole, you know, armor of God thing. And I spent the week trying to figure out how do I put these together? So I prayed about it, I read about it, and I prayed about it, and I read about it, and I asked questions to people around me about it, and I watched and listened to commentaries, I watched YouTube videos, I listened to sermons, I tried to figure this stuff out, and I tried to connect these two things. You know what I found? Nobody preaches them together. So I'm just that crazy, because I had to get all the way through the rest of this book today. Nobody preaches these two things together, but I, I stopped and thought, like, what in the world? There's got to be a reason that Paul added this at the end of this book, at the end of this letter, right? I don't think it was some addendum. I don't think it was some, oh, I forgot about that. Hey, while I still got your attention, you're going to write this in there. I think it was purposeful. I think it was purposeful that Paul put this at the end of his letter, and I spent the week trying to figure out just what that is. So I'm going to attempt to put these things together here in just a little bit. But first, let me tackle this. Let me tackle this armor of God thing, right? He starts out with this instruction. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And then he compares uh, this deal, this, this God's power to having this suit of armor on. And I know this feels so like strange and out of sight, out of mind for you and I in this century, in this country, in this day and time. But for them, it was commonplace. In the Roman Empire, people looked like this all the time. 
They literally had head-to-toe armor on. It was a militant kind of a run place. Like it was, it was I, I, could, I could have spent a whole message just talking about just that. I've dug into it a lot the last couple of weeks, but I haven't dug into it here. But it was commonplace for them. This would have got their attention. This was normal stuff for them. The Roman Empire, people look like this all the time. And Paul says, you've got this crazy, crazy access to the power of God. And it doesn't have to look like this, like, like this literal armor, but he uses this little, literal armor to get their attention. Remember back in chapter four, Paul told the Christ followers that they were created to be like God. You were created to be like God. That seems like a lot to live up to. I agree. You were created to be like God. So carry yourselves as such. And then he's telling them how to do so. How do we put this stuff on and carry ourselves in a manner that they can be like God? Because, hey, by the way, there's, there's this darkness at work around you. And we, if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard the term spiritual warfare. Some of us hide from, from that terminology, but Paul says it very clearly here. There is evil around you. And here I'm preparing you how to deal with this. So he uses this armor to get their attention. And because armor was commonplace for them, it worked for them. It's a little bit strange for us, but for our sake, it's not the belt, the breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword, etc. that I want to focus on. He says it's the truth of the gospel being made right through Christ, prepared through peace and full of faith through, uh, through which by grace we have salvation all in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we push back this darkness in the world around us, which is all over the place, some of which we see, most of which we don't. And Paul gives, us, gives them one more like weapon, one more tool, and I don't want to miss this one. He says, clothe yourself in these things. Here's your recipe, church. This is what he's saying to the church in Ephesus in 60 AD. Here's your recipe for all that's going on around. If you want to experience the victory of having the power of Jesus in you, here's what it looks like. And it kind of looks more like Jesus on you at this point if we see it with this, uh, with this terminology through, um, you know, talking about putting this armor. But here's what it looks like. And I told you earlier, I was searching for a way this week to connect these two things. And I spent the week agonizing over it. And I'm not sure I came up with anything uh, that is totally, totally, totally satisfying to me. But here's one observation I made. This is not a theologically uh, tested uh, observation. This is just an observation I made. How do we put these two things together? Here's my thoughts. Maybe, just maybe, in our common day relationships with our spouse, as our, in our parenting, in our work relationships, the most normal, everyday, day-to-day things, if we are to be experiencing the love of God in those, maybe it's just that common that we should also be tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit in us every day. Maybe it's just that common that there is darkness and evil and corruptness around us every single day. Maybe these two things go hand in hand for that reason. But beyond that, I wrestled with this question. What's the significance of the, you know, the battle talk that he's referencing? What's the significance of this being his final instructions? He has said a lot 
to the church here over the last six chapters, right? This letter, he said a lot about who you are and God and what's that mean for you? What has God done for you? What does grace look like? He has said, how do we stay unified as the body of Christ? He's talked about a whole bunch of stuff, these relationship things. He's, he's given us a clear picture of the gospel and how it is that we are to respond to the gospel. He's told us all kinds of really, really, really great things. Why is he ending this way? I struggled with this question. I wanted to understand it, and I don't know why it was so unsettling to me, but I needed to understand why in everything that he said, and he said so much good, rich stuff, which we've read about, why did he end with this? Why is this so important? So I started to ask myself that question, and I thought, man, people's final words are pretty important. Now, these were not Paul's final words. I'm not suggesting he was going to his deathbed or anything like that. But what his final instructions had to matter, like why were these the ones that he ended with? And it occurred to me, maybe I should look at Jesus's final words and see if there's any correlation. So I flipped over to John 14, where Jesus has gathered with his disciples for the very last time. It doesn't mean he's dying tonight, but this is the last time he's got them gathered around the table. He's just got done washing their feet and now he's kind of called this shot. He said, Judas, you're gonna betray me. Peter, you're gonna deny me. And also to everybody here, just so you know, I'm gonna be leaving this world. I'm out of here. And they're like, whoa, hang on a second. So they have some questions, right? So Thomas speaks up first. He says, Lord, how do we know the way to where you are going? And Jesus said, ah, the way I and the way, and the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. You don't have to, you already know me. I am the way. And they're like, okay. And then Philip piped up and he says, Lord, will you just show us the Father? That would be enough for us. Show us a picture of the Father. And Jesus said, man, you guys just don't get this. Anytime you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything I've taught you, every way in which I've taught you to live, everything I've modeled for you, everything I've instructed for you, Every time you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He says, but listen, I'm leaving. You know the Father. But I get that you're a little concerned that I'm leaving. But hey, guess what? The Father is going to send you his spirit. The spirit's going to be here with you. And check this out. And someday, verse 20, you will realize, and I love this. We have to catch this. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I can almost hear I can almost hear Jesus' conversation with the disciples laid right over the top of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, bear with me here. I actually did this this week. I laid them right beside each other. It's almost like I didn't have to do this. I could kind of just do this. Hear me for a second. These are, these are words out of each of these little passages in Scripture, right? And in John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, guard your heart with a breastplate of righteousness. In John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, have your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? In John 14, Jesus says, the prince of this world, that would be Satan, by the way, is coming, but he has no hold on me. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and put on Christ so that you can stand against the evil powers of this dark world. Paul says, pray. And Jesus says, oh boy, I'm on board with that. Anything you pray in my name, I will give you. So pray. They agreed on this. They agreed that the world is difficult. The devil is real, but you have everything you need in Christ. 
everything that you need in Christ. And Jesus' final message to his disciples, I think, was essentially the same as Paul's instructions for the church. All this time, all this time, you thought that being in Christ was the gift. And it is. It's amazing. You were right. But maybe, perhaps, the greatest revelation in this mystery of the gospel whole thing is not that you are in Christ. It's that God, by his spirit, is in you. Like that God would dwell in you and I. We have the tools, husbands, to lead right. We have the tools, husbands, to love right. We have the tools, wives, to be humble and to submit for the case of Christ through the gospel in our husbands, in our marriage covenant. You have everything you need in Christ. Listen to this. When you were lost, he chose you. When you were guilty, he forgave you. When you were dead, he raised you. He has brought you into the fold and his power is in you if you are in him. I am in my father and I am in you are in me and I am in you. So live like it. This is the call of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the call to you and I to live like the gospel has changed us. Now to the one who chose you before the foundation of the world according to his power that is at work within us, every single one of us, be glory in your life and in my life and in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer today, that you'd be glorified in our lives, that you'd be glorified in our relationships, that you would be glorified in the way we respond to this gospel truth, that you are with us, that you are in us, and that we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us every moment of every day. Father, help us to live like we know it's true. Help us to respond each and every moment out of obedience to you because you are worthy of it, Father. Go before us and guide us and shape us and mold us into the people that you are calling us to become by your spirit today. God, saturate our lives with your Holy Spirit. Saturate our lives with the word of God that we would be obedient followers of Jesus today and always. We love you and we praise you, Father, because you are good, because you are God, because you have called us to yourself. What an amazing gift that we get life in Christ today. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, thanks for being here today. Again, next week, we'll, we're done with this series, so next week we'll jump in with Pastor Tim. Peace to you. Y'all got to get out now. <laughs>